This week on the Olinas Podcast, we talk about the Pro Bowl, Jeter and Walker making it to the Hall of Fame, and Rob throwing away the rest of his career with Kobe talk. <laughs> and for your consideration, talk about the SAG Awards, the PGA Awards, APA signing the WGA agreement, and a Weinstein update on his trial in New York. In the news, the 2020 curse of pandemic is upon us. Ad spending in the 2020 campaign. Impeachment draws 11 million viewers. Trump gives Saudis nuclear tech. And what is exactly like the outcomes of the impeachment trial? And finally, in the Baltimore corner, we talk about through Vignaraja's uh, traffic stops last late last year, and a whole lot of intrigue. You don't want to miss it. Coming up right now on the other podcast. researcher you found it this is cory and this is the only at the podcast good afternoon everybody it's rob welcome to episode 303 of the only at the podcast possibly the last one we'll see <laughs> coming to you from the hashtag ota la studios hi above the 110 freeway in downtown los angeles california thank you for joining us yes thank you for uh listening on your podcatcher of choice your option uh for the foreseeable future <laughs> anchor.fm forward slash oh the anthem uh, where you can find links to get it on uh, Apple, Spotify, all over the place, uh, right through there. And for the time being, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash or the anthem at or the anthem on all your favorite <laughs> social media platforms, including Twitter and Instagram. You can find everything or the anthem uh, at youtube.com forward slash or the anthem. All the videos are available there, including the video recordings of every single episode. Uh, and everything, including the store, is available at or the anthem.com. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So where do you want to start today, Corey? <laughs> how about everything except for Kobe? Is that possible? So how about this? Right off the top. Wait, let me uh, let me get into the uh, this whole shot here. Uh, oh, wait. I forgot. We set up the transition now. Right off the top, I'd like to say that my thoughts in today's <laughs> podcast are mine and mine alone. They do not reflect the thoughts of uh, or the beliefs or the standing of Corey. Uh, that's William Corbett Baker <laughs> or the, or the Anthem podcast. They are mine alone. Thank you. I'm sure that'll I'm sure that'll help. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, how about something light? Let's just uh, go to Baltimore first. Okay. Get a nice right. quick, a nice quickie. Yeah, we can just we can knock that one out of get the way. Get some of my negative yeah. energy out right here. Yeah, so, in the Baltimore corner. Yeah, where you get the straight dope. So, uh, the one big story that's kind of been uh, pushing around Baltimore this week is about. Uh, still front runner because they only do polling like every three weeks in Baltimore, but still front runner, uh, Thiru Virajna's, uh, not so nice appearance in the news media this week. Uh, and not that he did a press conference, not that he, you know, had a gaffe. Uh, he's not, he's not the new Trump of Baltimore. The problem is that, uh, he has come out to be very much law and order in uh, his campaign. And then... (laughs) Well, as a, as a former assistant district attorney, he he I think that he found that as his lane. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? Um, that's why he ran for state's attorney uh, last time around. Well, well, I mean, like yeah. that's why he argued that he ran for oh, state's okay. attorney right. that that last time around. <laughs> um, 
So basically what happened was uh, a through was uh, driving around like 2 a.m. Uh, <laughs> on Greenspring mm-hmm. uh, and got pulled over by a cop because he didn't have any lights on. Yeah. That was the reason for the stop. And then once he was stopped, realized that his uh, suspension was uh, or his registration was suspended. Yes. Because he hadn't returned a repair order. Right. Uh, something that he said that he thought he did but didn't. And that seems to be neither here nor there. The officer was prepared to give him a warning mm-hmm. and just sort of let him be on his way. Because, by the way, uh, uh, the repair order apparently was for headlights. Uh, I think I chronicled my own headlight <laughs> repair order problem on previous episodes of the podcast. But yeah. literally in that moment, he could have turned on the headlights. The officer could have seen them, verified that the repair had been made, and just been like, all right, I'm going to give you a warning. Make sure that yeah. you go and report that. Go uh, go talk to – I mean, like, in, in, in any possible scenario, the cop could have said – don't you you were towing the car get out oh you know like 100%. get an uber home that yeah. sort of thing um the he had a lady in the car too who oh. apparently left and took an uber home he was uh she was in town for a, a criminal defense yes. seminar or something like that of he which was, there was no record of any yeah he was happening. familiar with her but didn't know anything but her first name she seemed to as soon as the cops get involved bail out of the car yeah. take an uber home so some questions there, yeah, uh, about uh, that, that lady. But nobody seems to want to dig too deep into that. <laughs> but um, I don't know if she's out there. I, I wouldn't mind hearing uh, what your reactions to the to the whole thing were and uh, what you do for a living. But yeah, <laughs> uh, if you'd like to speak about that, you know, I think that uh, anyone would be happy to hear. Because he it. he made the argument that she was a lawyer and he was trying to convince her to. Uh, come to Baltimore to to practice law. Yeah, and that's great because. Baltimore could use some talented lawyers. Mm-hmm. I would like to discuss the potential ability of you being a lawyer in the state of Maryland. Yeah. Have you passed the bar, for instance? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Would be one question I have. Uh, another would be: uh, Were you being paid for this uh, this time out? Right. Because um, uh, also, uh, as I can't get my lawyer to go ride around with me without putting out a couple shillings. Yeah. So I'm just saying, you know. And also, is this an hourly uh, thing, or is this a nightly expense? Are you? Uh, as a as a lawyer, I don't pro bono uh, perhaps. As a lawyer, I don't bail out of the car whenever <laughs> cops get involved. I tend to engage <laughs> when cops get involved. I can think of other professions though that you know may um may not want to may not want to be involved with the cops. Yeah, uh, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> the the real controversy since we don't know anything about his uh, his passenger. Yeah, is that immediately upon approaching the car, uh, announcing the reason for the stop, uh, Theru asked him to turn off his body camera. Yeah, which. You're not supposed to do. I mean, you can. There's uh, there's definitely examples where uh, people can ask for the body camera to go off. Uh, yes. Sometimes it ha- it usually has to do with a victim of a crime. Right. Like, so if I was uh, if I was a woman who was involved in a domestic violence situation, and I see a cop, and I say, "Hey, can you please turn off your body cam? I need to talk to you about." what my husband is doing to me, yes. then that's say, yeah, let's turn this off. Let's not get the the record of and this situation like right here. The rules of professional conduct, in fact, I think outline that the only reasons you're supposed to turn it off are for victim protection purposes. Right. And if you are the victim of a traffic stop, that doesn't really apply yeah. to you. I mean, you could. I guess you could make an argument for any reason that you would want the, the camera turned off, but uh, generally speaking, it's not supposed to. And uh, it was off for the entire stop. So it's not as if he said something along the lines of, hey, I'm in the midst of a very important investigation. Um, Don't record this. Or I'm going to say some things to you that are lies because this is part of an investigation. Okay, turn it back on. 
and then like it came back on and they did the whole thing. Well, I mean, it, it clearly whoever pulled him over, the first officer that pulled him over realized pretty quickly that he was a uh, a person of notoriety, influence. Yes. Yeah, of influence. Yeah. So uh, maybe I'm going to be a little bit more accommodating with this person than I would be to say uh, Freddie Gray. Or or me. <laughs> or Rob. Or me. Who is constantly fingering his nose at the police. Um, <laughs> amongst society. others. Society amongst others. Um, I, you know, really, to be honest, a traffic stop doesn't really raise the uh, the worries for me here. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the, the thing that gets me about this whole situation is the... Uh, tweeting of the story that was uh, so i was trying to uh twitter is what i was looking for mm. i was going through all my apps i'm like what am i looking for <laughs> twitter is what i was looking for uh the story had originally been written by uh one of the women who's in charge of the uh undisclosed podcast mm-hmm. i can't remember exactly amelia. who it is right now was at, it amelia at amelia clark or not clark. amelia um yes but at amelia is the start of her hold on got it right here yep she had written up a really wonderful uh, post that you can find on my Twitter account. Um, that was Justine, Justine Barron. Okay. Who did it. Uh, I think Amelia might have retweeted it. That's yeah, I, I think they it. were all going on about yeah. it. But basically, uh, she had written up a whole little post, and she had reached out to the Theroux campaign for mm-hmm. uh, comments, as you normally do, and uh, didn't immediately get comment back, but immediately the story went out on the Baltimore Sun. Which is starting to do this whole like it's the Rue just feeding the story to the Baltimore Sun, so he get, gets to tell it his way rather right. than answering questions. And there was a lot of things that were going on this week that bothered me, uh, uh, particularly uh, uh, Neiman on WBAL. I was listening to a little bit of his podcast, and he uh, had started by saying the story of Theroux exclusively broken by the Baltimore Sun, hmm. and I'm just like, mm, hmm. let's <laughs> let's pump the brakes here a little bit because you know there's uh, receipts. Yeah. Um, I just uh, what what bothers me about this is is uh, how clearly I feel like I can uh, see snake oil salesmen yeah coming, and Theroux is like a classic snake oil salesman yeah. yeah, and it's not that like this one incident is like damaging enough that he shouldn't be able to run for mayor like it, there's no real crime here. There's a misdemeanor, maybe you could discuss. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but nothing, not nothing, no crime that like rises to the to the thing of like you've lost the public trust. It's not, you know, like e- even Marion Barry wasn't like a loss of the public oh, trust. It's it not like he sold gift cards that were meant for children <laughs> to someone else. <laughs> he, he just enjoyed cocaine and hookers. Yes, and I, I don't, yeah. I don't know if, I mean, it's kind of a crime, but I don't know. <laughs> um. You know, it, it just uh, I, I feel like with snake oil salesmen, though, if there's any kind of like small whiff that there might be problems and that's your opportunity to like slowly back away. Like yeah. maybe Theroux shouldn't be the guy, not because this incident is so bad. It's just because I don't know how much I can trust him. And if like one little incident seems to be ballooning all these questions that nobody seems to want to answer, then that's worthy of something. Like, yeah. And I, I put in our show notes two stops because apparently during questioning of someone in the extent of this, someone mentioned a stop from 2018 mm. and then quickly covered themselves and said, uh, I mean, 2019. And that led to a little bit of investigation about like, has he done this before? Yeah. And that maybe he 
is of the habit of getting pulled over, asking the officers to turn off their body cams, and then saying something along the lines of, do you know who I fucking am? <laughs> Why are you pulling me over? And then um, getting out of tickets, which yeah. would not really align with the democratic ideals of how one should operate as uh, someone who wants to be mayor of Baltimore. Well, so, and I, I know a lot of people were like sort of getting on his case about the uh, uh, don't you know, uh, or like there's 600 officers down yeah. and you're doing this right now. Like uh, I, that, that it sounds very bitchy to say, but uh, it legally speaking, it can be part of a strategy you can use to uh, make the officer feel like there's more important things you should be worried about. Yeah. And like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, much like uh, when somebody asks for your license, your registration. Sometimes the twenty dollar bill snuck in, snuck mm-hmm. inside the license works. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Some, Some, yep. <laughs> Got to know who you're It's a, it's a. Uh, I'm going to tell you this about that one though. It's either it either works or it really doesn't. <laughs> so be prepared for that. Um, yeah, I mean, like you know, it, it's just one of those things. Like I, I just don't. But again, I point out to the fact that Sheila Dixon got the second highest number of votes in the last mayoral election. Yeah. Then we elected Catherine Pugh, who was at the time and then continued to uh, abuse her position in order to have personal gain. Yes. So will it matter that Theroux asked an officer to turn off his body cam? And if there is any fallout from it, will there be any impact? The likely answer is absolutely not. I I mean, like, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is like he didn't do anything that rises to the to the realm of like that. This is clearly unelectable or anything yeah. like that. It's just like one of those things that uh, my my ire and my attention peaks a lot when something anything that involves him happens because I'm so apt to believe that it's bullshit <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like it reminds me a lot of 2016 though where it's just like uh oh well any number of these things is going to sink this campaign and yeah. none of them just will yeah. well it 2020 wild y'all um <laughs> it just keeps on going and uh we will watch him probably be elected mayor of baltimore so in what horribleness <laughs> i i can't even fathom and then we have a brand new controversy That'll come from that, I'm yes, sure. I'm uh, sure. And then we'll be like, oh, why didn't we see it coming with the Rue? And then me and you will just be sitting here going like, hey, guys. <laughs> we said something about yeah. this uh, when, uh, when, when he I, ran for uh, state's attorney. Why yeah. not join us uh, on the right side of history? Uh, so let's uh, let's go from that to what I think is going to be the biggest story of the week. Okay. Absolutely the page turner of the week. Do you know about the 20s curse, Corey? No. Okay. So there is this thing that people were joking about as we approached uh, 2020, and that is uh, 20s have been known in the 20th century for like, hey, everything's great, right? Like uh, Roaring 20s. Roaring 20s. F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote about the amazing, you know, uh, huge parties and the lavish lifestyle and everything of the 20s. But what you don't know about is that in every century since basically recorded history, the 20th year of that century has been horribly, horribly bad. Hmm. 1620s, 1720s, 1820s, and 1920s. Worldwide pandemic has been either ongoing or was started and then continued after that. Most recently, uh, the soldiers returning from World War One brought back Spanish flu all across the globe and killed about an eighth of the world's population. Yeah. Um, and then in the 1820s, also a pandemic, 1720s, pandemic, 1620s, we start getting into black plague territory. And then, you know, before that, 
things more terrible than the Black Plague, which, by the way, uh, I don't even want to think about. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> boils on the skin that burst black uh, liquid out and then yeah. infect everyone around you. Sounds pretty bad. And then, like, oh, that wasn't even the worst thing around then. And I'm like, God, it was horrible to live there. Uh, but it's uh, 2020 now, and yet a new pandemic is yeah. breaking out around the world. This one, much like everything horrible that has to do with our society, came from China. Um <laughs> I'm just saying, SARS came from China. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I get where you you're know, going from. It's like all the bad viruses come <laughs> from there. But uh, coronavirus yeah. uh, was a largely Asian problem. Uh, Hong Kong is apparently shutting down their uh, movie theaters, their carnivals, any public place shut down now. Um, also, put a real damper on the protesting that's been happening because uh, – the Chinese government now basically is like, ah, go on protest all you want, guys. Uh, yeah. We're lifting all bans on protesting. All protesters, welcome in the street. Yes, get out as much as you would like, please. In co- close Intermingle with, with one another, as please. As much as possible. Um, but, uh, yeah, it started out in western China, and it moved to the coast, and then into Macau and Hong Kong, Shanghai, uh, Beijing. And uh, we just had our first reported case of coronavirus that has now been confirmed as of eight minutes ago. In Orange County, California, so it's now made its way to the United States. It had been in the United States before that. I think it was in Seattle and Chicago or something like that before. So, yeah, it was uh, it was in urban areas, and I guess what you could call Orange County urban, but I think the concern with the Orange County case is that the person has no link to uh, international travel directly. Hmm. So it's a, this person may have been in Seattle or wherever, come in contact with the infected person there, and then come back home, oh, which is not a good sign. Yeah, that's uh, that's not great. Not not a good sign. So um, kiss your loved ones and hold them tightly. Uh, as with any uh, unless natural- you have the virus. Oh yeah, I mean uh, obviously if you have coronavirus, don't do that. Uh, and as with any natural disaster, find a nice sturdy door frame. Um, <laughs> place your head between your knees and kiss your ass goodbye, because we're all dead. But luckily, uh, we all live in a two-dimensional. A uh, projection of three-dimensional space, so none of this even matters. I uh, I would like to believe that uh, uh, hopefully this doesn't uh, rise to the same level of a black plague or something like that. And uh, hopefully we're able to sort of get on top of it a little bit and spread the – or uh, keep the rise of spreading, you know? I just remember uh, Ebola. Yeah. Friend of the show, EP, uh, who was – literally freaking out because they had to go through like level five uh, contagion drills at the hospital she was working at where they're like, all right, you have 90 seconds to put on all your equipment or you could, you're dead. Um, so, all right, ready guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. That would scare the shit out of me. Uh, and then she was telling us about that. And then I saw in the news, a janitor washing off the sidewalk with a, uh, a hose, hose. <laughs> uh, where a guy collapsed and then vomited and then it was found out he had Ebola. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's the guy spraying the sidewalk down with a hose. Uh, no know. special mask. No nothing. Putting it in the water supply. Yeah. Just pushing it down into the gutter. Uh, <laughs> and like the cops standing by just like and you see the guy. Like, That's some good work. <laughs> but one of the cops over on the edge is like pointing at the guy and like looking at his compadre like, you think you should be doing that? I feel like. Should we stop him? We should probably stop him, right? But if we get close, we could get infected. So, you know, maybe not. Uh, you think I could hit him from here? Could I shoot him from here? You think I would stop this? Or, um, But yeah. Uh, and It'd that's be what no I just, good. His dead body would land in the puddle. <laughs> that would go. 
But that's what I think about. It's like, I have faith that we can stop these kind of outbreaks. And then I think about that video of cops standing around while the guy hoses down a sidewalk where an Ebola victim uh, died. And uh, I don't know. But uh, hope for the best, folks. I I, uh, I think there's more to come with this, obviously. But uh, for right now, I'm hoping that uh, all the precautions are being taken to properly... Uh, uh, stay on top of this, but yeah. as always, uh, your government is the one in charge of this, so uh, good luck. <laughs> and we'll record to the bitter end, so uh, <laughs> if you see us here with sunken eyes and uh, you know, uh, some sort of... We'll just put, we'll live stream my camera to the hospital room where I'm dying. Of... <laughs> beep! Beep! Corey, I'm getting a little bleed through <laughs> from the monitor. Could you, uh, could you turn that down just a bit? <laughs> Rob, I would appreciate if you stopped talking about this subject because I feel like it's doing bad things to the podcast. I'm <laughs> flatlining in the background i'm just like this is my concern oh <laughs> uh, yeah so uh we'll keep you posted uh, as long as there are is power and internet and society hasn't shut down from yeah. a global pandemic so um and it, the next the, the next time i'm i had gotten into earlier today and we got into a bit of a tussle about it and i, I think that it's really important it's about the weinstein trials and <laughs> uh and trump um because you kind of got approached this week uh, by some people who have no understanding really about what the process is for what's going on. Well, so like uh, I was, I was trying to explain that like uh, some somebody had asked me about the Weinstein case, and they're just like, you know, like I saw his lawyers trying to get this case thrown out, and I was just like, yeah, that happens all the time, and they're just like, well, why? Why would they? Why would they? You know, like how is this a thing? And I'm like, well, part of the legal process is like, you know, if you have a. Uh, client like uh, Harvey Weinstein and you're trying to find any reason why this trial has to end in a mistrial like you're trying to see the government's case and then be able to shut this thing down yeah. and be able to try it again and make them spend more money to uh, try it again and you can use information that you gained in the first trial and the second trial Flashback to or if you get enough mistrials then they might say this isn't worth it and stop prosecuting you but we, we talked about the Adnan Syed trial where yeah. that was actually used really well. They got a mistrial in the first trial. It allowed the defense to prep for the second trial. And then the government came back in the second trial with a completely different theory of the crime than they yeah. had in the first trial. So it was just well, like, the same hey, thing, wait. The same thing happened with the Keith David trial. That yes, we were, Keith, Davis. Keith Davis. I'm sorry. Where five yeah. times they came back with five different theories of the crime. So every time they got a mistrial, they yeah. just could not prepare any better. But I mean, like, this is... Uh, uh, at one point, they had they had when uh, interviewing prospective juries jurors, they were saying, uh, "Do you watch Law and Order and stuff like that?" And mm. people were like, "What kind of ridiculous question is that? Like, why does that matter at all?" But like, there is a thing about like people who uh, think a trial based off of what they see on TV is like how a trial is going to be. Yeah, uh, something that you don't see in TV trials that happen a lot is uh, a lawyer getting really offended by some little minor thing <laughs> and saying. Uh, you know, judge, I don't see how we could possibly go on. The state just said that my client is a rapist. And by saying that out loud on the record without a without a, a witness to back up that statement is completely inappropriate for the jury to have heard. And I, I demand you declare a mistrial. Yeah. And most, you know, 99.9% of the time, the judge goes, shut, <laughs> shut up, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not, and I'm so, not playing this game. But overruled, <laughs> moving on. Yeah, let's go. But I mean, like this is part of how it happens when you have a cl uh, client who is uh, 
especially no, a, a notorious client, like somebody that a, a lot of people know about, there's more opportunities for the state to like step in it and uh, hopefully raise that to the level of a of a mistrial. Yeah. And that's all his attorneys are trying to do no, right now. It will continue literally through the entire state's case. Yeah. It, until they close out it, any opportunity to just say, I believe that the jury has become Every prejudiced. couple days they're going to say something has happened. We need a mistrial. Yeah. And the judge will just eventually get so angry he'll say, if you ask me again, <laughs> without a good reason, that I'm just going to fine you in contempt or something well, like that. And, you know, the last motion that the defense makes before they start their case is... A motion for a uh, a motion for a guilty finding based on a lack, or a motion for a not guilty finding based on a lack of evidence presented by the state, mm. and then a motion for mistrial based on mispresented evidence by the state. Like, yeah. And I, even if I was never in a trial that required asking for a mistrial that often, yeah. It is everything that you do every single time. Just all right. State wraps up their case in a criminal trial. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna ask for the- it's it's the it's the lawyer version of a football player going up to the ref and saying, "Where's the flag?" Like, yeah. well, and not not like- even that. It, I mean, it, it's I don't know that there is a sports metaphor. It's just like uh, if you sit in a courtroom long enough, in a, they do like three or four criminal trials in a row. You'll hear the attorneys do it, and it's always half-hearted because you know it's gonna get turned down. But it's like I'm gonna do this anyway. Like, yeah, maybe the judge has heard something or. Listen, there's five charges, and maybe he just was keeping notes, and he's going to say, you know what? Charge four, they missed one of the counts uh, that's supposed to be included, and yeah. because they didn't present any evidence on that, I'm going to grant your request of a dismissal for charge four. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, because I, I mean, the best the best case for it is the state does something wrong. Yes. And you can actually, you know, like, and, and how much, how wrong is the, is the judgment of the judge? Like, you know... Uh, I, I mentioned some evidence that I'm not supposed to talk about in this case. Like it was agreed upon that that won't be discussed in pretrial motions. Yeah. If I casually mention it, then I might get admonished by the judge. Right. But probably not a mistrial. If I bring it up in in big detail to the jury, yes. Then I could possibly be looking at a mistrial for my for my case. So it's not. It's like one of those things that like uh, it's part of the process, and it's hard to understand if you don't. You don't have experience in the courtroom. Now, here's the other thing, too. If it's a piece of evidence I'm going to present in a witness, three witnesses from now, but I haven't brought it up yet, but I mention it early, the defense will ask for a mistrial because I have brought up evidence which has not been entered into the record. And if the judge and I and the defense attorney all know that I'm going to bring up a witness and three witnesses that's going to speak to that very fact, the judge will just say, overruled, let's move on to the next witness. Because... You, as a defense attorney, are just, again, looking for anything you can to get that mistrial. Yeah. And we all know that that's a, maybe the judge is going to say, you know what? By presenting that piece of evidence out of order, you have prejudiced the jury against what they're going to hear from the next few witnesses, and you've prejudiced his cross. So, you know, I'm going to grant the mistrial. Next time, remember the order of your witnesses and don't bring up things before they testify to them. Yeah. And some really strong law and order justices or uh, uh, judges will do that. Yeah. They will say, until it is mentioned in by a witness here, it does not exist. And if you bring it up out of order, then I will strike the entire trial. Right. Because uh, it will prejudice the jury against everything they hear after that. And how can you cross on something that has not been presented to the jury right. yet? So it's like, I can't even defeat that. They're going to be thinking about this fact that hasn't been presented. I can't do anything about it. That's so. why That's why another common time where you'll hear it a lot is, uh, uh, even though it's, it's kind of accepted to do it in your opening arguments yeah. to talk about something you will hear from some witness during the course of the trial. 
uh, is a popular time for somebody to declare the mistrial because it's like he's he's testifying to the case before it's been in been from a from a actual witness. And far more often, what you see is them bringing up documents. They're like, "I'm going to show you this document." Now, what this expert is going to tell you about this document is this. You're a little safer with that because you are kind of framing the document that you're showing them. Yeah. You will not see them say, I'm going to call this witness and what they are going to tell you is this. Now right. you are testifying to what they're going to testify to rather than I have an expert. He says that this document means this and he's going to clarify even more than I am with you now. Yeah. What that actually means. Like the fact that the T's are crossed at an angle means that he was very angry when he signed this. Well, and, and tying it into what's going on with impeachment right now. Right, yeah. the, the legal argument of Trump's team, which is uh, the defense in this case, is uh, basically that the burden has not been reached in which to uh, prosecute and uh, that it should be the, the case should be thrown out uh, under the same pretenses that Weinstein's case is going uh, because the threshold has not been met and uh, they haven't proven anything. Now, the other side of the argument is that uh, we haven't been able to talk to the people to properly prove anything. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we would really like to speak to those people before we make a final decision. And uh, that's basically where that one is going. But it, uh, getting into the discussion about it a lot over the course of this last week with impeachment stuff and people knowing that I know how this process works a little bit. I, I, it, it's like, I, I just get a lot of questions about like, so at what point do enough Republican senators change their mind and convict Trump? And I'm just like, that's not, that's not the game we're exactly playing right now. Cause I think that the event that would have to happen in order for that to, the, for, for a conviction to happen at this point, something humongous would have to happen. Yeah. And if we're looking at it in terms of the Nixon impeachment, which didn't actually, you know, get to the impeachment part, but uh, Nixon was popular with the Republicans, like Trump is popular with Republicans, and he was not going to be impeached until the news of, you know, secret tapes and <laughs> Watergate and everything like that, like really came out and uh, the full scope of the investigation was known yeah yeah uh then it things changed very quickly like as soon as it, it, it was realized that uh, everything was true with watergate then it became a uh lot harder to stick with nixon well the and problem was that was where that was where all the all the change really happened you uh, know a lot of them rode his coattails through the uh was 62 no 68 72 election so they were like, hey, I owe this guy something. I got elected because he got reelected. Yeah. And a lot of them were planning on riding those coattails through 74, maybe even 76, even though there'd be a new president then. But when it became clear that uh, Nixon would be an albatross around your neck, not a boon to your election campaign. Right. Now I can turn tail on him. The problem is what happens that make tr makes Trump an albatross for someone rather than a boon. And I don't know that that thing exists. And what I said earlier was uh, to Corey in the, the pre-show pre meeting was that essentially what we have now is a trial where the, uh, you know, usually we get in, we try to get the most impartial jury that we can. That doesn't exist in impeachment. Uh, Corey is on trial for murder. And essentially we have a, a jury that is made up of on one side, uh, six, six people or of on each side. We have OJ Simpson and Fred Goldman yeah. on one side uh, or on uh, as two parts of those. And then, just think of every person who's ever gotten off for a murder and the person who wishes that they had gotten convicted of that murder. And we divide the 12 into those six people because yeah. 
there are Republicans who are literally the OJ Simpson saying, Hey, listen, People get falsely accused of murder all the time. I don't know why you would uh, why you would think. I don't that know he why did it, I'm the one who did it. Yeah, <laughs> why would you look at this guy and say that he's the one who did it? And by the way, have you seen what these guys are up to? I feel like they're just trying to get the civil mean, lawsuit. It, I, I would I would make the argument that uh, uh, Adam Schiff did a very admirable job uh, bringing up all the points that seem reasonable enough for why we should want to have additional witnesses and why we should want to hear more before. Uh, closing up this case. Uh, the Trump legal team is sort of taking it from the perspective of uh, here are all the things that happened along the way that weren't quite on the level, and this is why it doesn't reach that level yeah. of uh, convictable. You know, like, I, I think that it's... Uh, there's not enough there on the Trump side to really say that they overstep. Like, the first thing that they played... <laughs> on the opening arguments was Adam Schiff doing the fake uh, transcript. The transcript of the call, essentially. Yeah. And it was clear what he was doing was joking around about what was being said. But, uh, yes, he did do that on the record, and that is a little bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. But it's also like I, 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 it's kind of a little pot calling the kettle black because uh, Trump is putting things on the record all the time that yeah. he won't go into court and say. So... Uh, you know, if he wants to, if Trump wants to speak on the record about this, then uh, I think they would gladly have him. Of course, yeah. uh, but he doesn't seem to want to do that. So funny, uh, funny how that uh, how that it works. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, if I was a criminal defense lawyer, I would never uh, recommend that my client get on the stand. But uh, sure, could uh, clear up a lot of questions. Could end this thing pretty quickly if you uh, decided to do that. Yeah. Uh, and instead, it will drag on forever. Um, the first day of impeachment, which was uh, Adam Schiff's day one. Tuesday, during the day, yes, too. Garnered 11 million viewers, um, which I don't know what the, that is a share in on a Tuesday afternoon like that. But mm. I got to imagine that's like a 40 share on a Tuesday afternoon. It's a, it, it, I imagine it's a pretty big number. Yeah. Uh, and then it waned as the week went on, but I think also because the Republicans were putting on their argument and maybe not the most popular, but people were really there to see what the Democrats had to say. We kind of already knew what the Republicans were going to say. Yeah. Um, and then next week, the Republicans wrap up and then we move on to the next phase. And I think we'll see what the day to day numbers will look like uh, during the Clinton um, impeachment. I was one of those numbers coming home from school every day to watch the afternoon um Impeachment hearings, mm -hmm. uh, which actually run like midday here. And it's very weird to be like 11 to 11 to three or something like that. But I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that as strong as people hope that it will. Apparently, no one is calling their Democratic senators or congressmen. And uh, people are appalled by this. And I'm like, listen, what I mean, are we going to call and say here? Here's the thing. Like uh, uh, part of the, the thing that gets brought or that I'm getting asked about a lot is what can I do? What can what can I do to change this thing? And uh, my argument is that there isn't really anything that you personally can do to change this thing. It would take a lot of people to do something to change this thing. So however you have, whatever means you have of getting a lot of people to do something, I would say that's your, your best hope. Uh, if you know people who live in states with senators where uh, there are on the fence or could conceivably be on the fence, uh, uh, Martha McSally is not like a likely voter for more witness right yeah. but 
she was not elected. She lost her election right. and uh, was appointed to the seat. So she is not in like the firmest of ground. And Arizona is kind of having that purplish. They just elected a Democratic senator. So uh, it's it's starting to turn a little bit. And she might find herself on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Uh, impeachment from all the polls I've seen is like uh, overwhelmingly, even amongst Republicans, for wanting to see more witnesses because they feel like uh, at the very least, they should speak publicly on this before yeah. they just throw it away. If you're going to do it, do it, you know? So, I mean, the question is, like, the the, the thing that really... Uh, your telltale signs that, that this is going to be a sham are, like, when uh, apparently Susan Collins uh, had written a note to John Roberts, and John Roberts had admonished both sides for not treating the Senate with the proper amount of respect... Uh, and what apparently had started the process of her writing that note to send up to John Roberts was at some point Adam Schiff quoted a CBS News uh, article where it said that any Republican senators who vote against Trump and his interests are going to put their head on a pike. And apparently that 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 was too much for Susan Collins. It was like mm-hmm. I can't I can't even have him bring this sort of thing up here in this in this venue. It's not proper. And that's what got uh, both sides a, a talking to by by uh, the <laughs> chief justice. But I, I mean, like it's it's clear that every single one of these possible uh, swing votes is looking for anything that could happen where they don't have to do this vote. Like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, it, I, I've heard a lot of people say that the the vote is either going to be three. <laughs> Three turning over for for more uh, witnesses or twenty, because there's no like this just barely sneaks past yeah. because nobody wants to be like left out. If there's four senators who vote for more uh, witnesses and it becomes a thing, uh, because that's the that's the uh, the difference right now, then those four are going to get a lot of attention, yeah. and it's not they don't want to have that attention. Uh, for someone like Romney, it makes sense because Trump isn't very popular in Utah, even though also he he's definitely to going to win Utah. Yeah. <laughs> like, he uh, he also hates him personally, I yeah. feel like. So it's just like, yeah, yeah, more witnesses. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Talk, uh, Yay. I, I, I don't even understand, though, uh, just as one last little point here. I don't even understand Ted Cruz in this whole thing because, you know, like Trump says that your father killed Kennedy mm-hmm. and uh, uh, your wife's a pig and... Uh, uh, embarrasses you in front of everybody. You make a a speech at the Republican National Convention saying like you want to uh, uh, bring civility back to this whole process, and the mm-hmm. fact that we've that we're going in this direction is just wrong and immoral. Uh, and then quickly gets in line and never to be heard from again. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I just don't even under like you know if you want if you were one of those people who who thought Ted Cruz was an answer I'd like I'd like to hear what you have to say about him quietly sitting aside for every little bit of this well the problem is he's now got an endangered uh, species of thrush living in his beard <laughs> and he's really afraid to disrupt uh, yeah the fines that can come from disrupting the breeding area of the thrush uh, is is huge so what he wants to do is just sit in the back allow them to do their breeding their nesting um, and then once they move on, which will yeah. likely be once just they go to after, another host. Yes. Once just once, which will likely be after the impeachment, just after <laughs> the impeachment ends, uh, then we'll start hearing from Ted Cruz again. Lucky us. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I do want to, uh, to mention something that I thought was, uh, far more, um, impressive than the impeachment proceedings uh, and something which really impressed strongly upon me uh, in the last 24 hours. 
we went saw 1917 last yeah. night. And to all the naysayers who are wondering why that movie is doing so well during award season, go see the movie. Yeah, it's that it's uh, it's worth it. But we are in the heart of award season now. I think we are. We have the SAG Awards behind us. The the Production Guild PGA Awards are behind us as well. And uh, we are coming up on Academy Awards are coming up. Uh, Golden Globes behind us too from last week. Yeah, uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. So uh, it's all kind of building towards the uh, towards the Academy Awards. Um, and I think that it was. Uh, it was friend of the show Roberto who said off the top, just like, what is 1917 and why is it nominated for everything? Yeah. And then first comment after we got back uh, out of the movie last night was just like, okay, so that's why it's nominated for everything. Just visually stunning, completely well done. But it's also in, I, I mean, I don't want to give it too much, too much accolades because it's in a field that is full of really amazing movies this year. Yeah. But I, I, I want to only say that about 1917 because it's like a part of the thing that we try to do every year is to go see all the nominated movies exactly for that reason. Because you don't want to go into a kind of blind and not knowing what movies are nominated. Yeah. Yet. And the last couple of years, I think we've missed like one. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it just sort of happens like you can't you just run out of time to see them all. Um, but, yeah, I, I so as far as uh, prognosticating the awards uh the uh two of the the big ones to to look at prior to the academy awards are the sag awards and the pga awards right because they uh do a lot to push people towards uh what will eventually win in the oscars because the uh, sag is the largest voting body in the academy and for those not in the industry <clears throat> the screen actors guild yeah and the producers guild of america so it's the the voting bodies of Screen actors and producers, who many of which are also members of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Yeah. Um, as far as so elitist, Corey, just assuming that people know what those are. Sorry. Look at you, industry insider. <laughs> um, a lot of the winners of SAG uh, are ones that I imagine we're going to hear on Oscar night: uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Renee Zellweger, Brad Pitt, Laura Dern. Those they have seemed to sort of rounded into form as the people who are most likely to win. Uh, because they're winning a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of TV stuff too in the SAG Awards. Is that Tony Shalhoub? Is that Tony Shalhoub? Yeah. For uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Good for him. Because they won ensemble as well yeah. for a comedy and the crown for drama. Uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge, Peter Dinklage. Yeah. I mean, like, that doesn't really matter mm -hmm. as much to uh, the Academy. I would say, though, something that I enjoy that the uh, SAG Awards does that the Academy does not. Uh, stunt award. Hmm. There's an award for stunts. Uh, Avengers Endgame won it. I'm sure uh, the people watching at home who have seen a movie like Avengers Endgame and not so much a movie like 1917 would like an opportunity to root for sure. a movie they've actually seen. So it would be a great opportunity to... Is that a new edition or is that something they've done for a while? I don't know how recently it came in. I know I, I just know noticed it there and I was just like, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> um. Because, you know, like, I, I don't feel like every single piece of the pie that makes a makes a movie needs to necessarily be win an Academy Award. There doesn't need to be an Academy Award for catering, right. for instance, yes. or best background work, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, even though those can be very important for the process. And there is one actor from 1917 who would win best background work because he appeared <laughs> in, like, nine of the scenes. <laughs> Just constantly looking at it. <laughs> hey! 
There's just like one blonde guy who was like, he looks like he's really from 1917. Let's just throw that dude back in there again. Yeah. Well, oh wait, what is 30 miles away and 10 minutes later? Who cares? Throw him in the background. It's fine. Nobody will notice. So, uh, the, the big, the big ones to pay attention to here though is, uh, uh, P- at the PGA's 1971 Best Picture, uh, which is a good sign for it going into the Academy. But at the SAG Awards, uh, motion, motion Picture cast went to Parasite, which is also sort of like an outside favorite. And it's looking like right now going in, 1917, uh, Parasite, uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and an outside shot for Jojo Rabbit are like the top four in the running right now. For Best Picture. For Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, with the end of the SAG Awards and the PGA Awards to uh, guide us in that direction. But and it's going to be interesting to watch. I, 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 I like all those movies, and the fact that you know Joker got 11 nominations, it's hard to look past when it uh, comes to Best Picture because you know it, sometimes the popularity of something getting nominated so many times helps carry it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it will win Best Picture. I, no. I've always thought it was kind of a fringe best picture nominee to begin with, even though I, I liked it a lot. It's yeah. just, uh, I don't know, just hard to, uh, hard to see it winning, but I, I would definitely, if there was money to be putting on it, I think 1917 has just bolstered its award credibility with the PGA award. Yeah. I think we've seen now six of the nine nominees for best picture. Um, if I remember it was five before and now I, well, no, I'd seen five, you've seen four. And now I've seen 1917 as well. Have you seen Jojo Rabbit? Yes. Okay. I can't remember which of the... Yeah, if you can pull it up. Pull up the Best Picture nominees because uh, I'm trying to remember. But I think Joaquin basically has Best Actor locked up for... I mean, who knows, obviously, because it's a voting body who decides. But um, he's doing really well in every one of the like pre-Oscars uh, lineups. Um, Brad Pitt is doing... <laughs> Brad Pitt is doing well. I get fucking stuck on Bing. <laughs> I, Why are you searching with Bing? Well, here's the thing. I I uh, I downloaded the Edge Chromium. Yes. Because yeah. I like the idea of being able to use the the engine of Chrome mm-hmm. without all the extra horsepower that Chrome requires. Right. Yeah. So I've been trying it out casually here, but I haven't figured out the way to change the search engine. So because it's Edge, they just want to send me to Bing. Yeah. Guess what? And when you I type can't. in Academy Award nomin- or Oscar nominations, it's just like, hey, here's who's winning the Grammys. I'm just like, shut the fuck up. I'm not dumb. I know <laughs> this is for dumb people and you're thinking I'm watching something. It must be the Grammys. Like, it wasn't even the, uh, the, the Academy's like a nominations page wasn't even the first one that came up. And I'm just like, how is this even possible? Mm. Uh, let's go here. Da, da, da. So, but by the way, the again, end. seeing ever, it's got, it can't be that low. Can it? It's got to be at the top. I would think so. And then it wasn't all the acting ones were. Well, maybe da, right da, below da. that. Music. Makeup. Oh, it's got to be above those. Uh, documentary doc- short, documentary feature. Directing costume. This is very Cinematography. exciting for Yeah, I know. Uh, All the people looking at us scrolling on a page. Come on, you motherfuckers. Really? Really? Just hiding somewhere in the middle. Search for best. Just do a, a, a command F. Uh, Control F. Uh, oh, not best, because that will be... Uh, picture? Yeah, picture. Picture is what you want. There we go. What the fuck? No? Best picture, not Jesus Christ, list. you guys. Now I got a problem with the Oscars site. All <laughs> right. Come on, Oscars. Why? You know what everybody wants. 
Just give us the, t the best pictures. That's what we're looking for. Here we go. All right. Go and of course, list. this is an article where they just ah, fuck me. You <laughs> talk about the APA. Real the internet quick, is <laughs> failing. So okay. So another thing that happened this week uh, is that the APA uh, signed the WGA agreement. Now we talked about this a while ago. Um, that the WGA went out on strike for a bit, and then they they came back, but they said, "Hey, we are not going to sign this. We we want you to sign this agreement, or we're not going to move out." So it's been a pseudo strike. That's not really been a strike. Um, because it's against the the agents, not against the uh, yeah. the studios themselves. So they have, they're back from the strike with the studios, but now they have this problem with the agents. And basically, they're saying we're holding out until you sign. APA isn't the biggest of the agencies, but it is considered one of the larger agencies. And they have now agreed to sign the WGA agreement. And basically, it is more velocity moving towards forcing. Uh, William Morris and uh, creative artist to yeah. sign this agreement, which they don't want to because essentially what the writers are saying is you cannot both represent me and be the production company that's benefiting from my work. Right. Um, and so because at some point it, it's within your benefit to keep the cost down. Yes. And that means you're negotiating against me, your client, and you're packaging my stuff with another one of your artists together. And so you're getting his fee, my fee and a fee for production. But you're the producer, so you're the one controlling the fees. In, in yeah, some and ways. deciding how much money. Like uh, again, I saw, I heard a podcast recently with some huge star who's just like, uh, "Oh yeah, you remember Armageddon?" Uh, you know, like I don't remember who it was, but let's say it was Affleck and Armageddon. Mm -hmm. He's like, "Hey, yeah, remember Armageddon? How it made all that money? Apparently not. If you look at their bookkeeping, yes, yeah, <laughs> it's never made a penny. So, it's and, always losing money, and that's that's what like, would happen. And imagine if your agent, the one who was supposed to argue for more money for you, was the one trying to keep the profits down on the yeah. books. So, um, APA has now agreed to sign, uh, which puts pressure on the other large agencies because now people who are without an agent. Um, because they have said, I'm not going to work with you, agent who's with William Morris. Um, they're saying, well, I can go over to APA and get the same level of representation I got from creative artists or from William Morris, but get it through somebody who signed to the WGA agreement. And if they start seeing a flood of their old clients signing other places, yeah. it may force them to just sign it so they cannot lose more clients. But well, anyway, it remains to see if that's going to be true. Uh, best picture? Yes. Uh, let's just do a yes, no. Okay. Ford v. Ferrari? No. No. Irishman? Yes. yes. Jojo Rabbit? Yes. yes. Joker? Yes. yes. Little Women? Yes. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Marriage Story? Yes. No. 1917? Yes. yes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Yeah. Parasite? Yes. Yes. So I, you haven't seen Marriage Story and Little Women. Right. I haven't seen Little Women. Right. As I say, well, I, I've started Marriage Story. Or yeah, Ford vs. Ferrari, too. We both haven't seen that. So yeah. I would need to see two of them here. So I have seen six of nine. You've seen seven of nine. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, but even with all of that, my whole point of that was cinematography. I don't know how anyone's going to surpass Deacons in 1917. Yeah. You know, there was a bunch of them that I was watching and I was just like, I, I don't how, no, understand. Uh, technically speaking, from like a department standpoint, like there was so much great about the uh, my only real complaint i think about 1917 is that like the story wasn't as good as i would like it to be but i think that was at loss because you were sort of following a real time yeah like there wasn't an opportunity to have like a compelling b plot like you would have in another movie because mm -hmm. another war movie because there's never the opportunity where you're breaking away from the action that you're at to go to two soldiers in the barracks going like you know my brother died in this war a month ago you know right like, 
And I mean, you never see the same group twice, really. It's like right. these two guys moving and they come upon other people. But how do you have a B plot when there's no yeah. other, no one else, really? So. And I mean, like, it's one of those things like uh, usually uh, another great uh, determination for what will win Best Picture is uh, the editing awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the editors union uh, throws together that one. And uh, usually the winner of that has a, a pretty strong chance of winning Best Picture. But this one is the only one where I think that editing was kind of worthless for 1917 because all the cutting happened in camera. Like yeah. It wasn't determined by the editor. It was determined by how they were shooting it. There was very little op- opportunity for him to change this movie in any kind of ridiculous way. Yep. Uh, like, it was storyboarded out as a one shot and it did a fantastic job yeah. maintaining that throughout. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I'm sure the editor did a lot of work. You just don't see it. It. I mean, they did a lot of work for sure. It's yeah. not like they're, they didn't deserve to have an editor, yeah. but uh, the, the, there was no at point where he had to make the decision, uh, like, oh, do I put this moment here? Or right. maybe this movie will work better if this moment is moved up nope. ahead of time. Nope. Like, it's well, all pretty much well decided ahead of time. Yeah. Okay, do we have him running down this way first or that way first? <laughs> well, he uh, after he makes his turn, he turns right, and then he comes down the other way. There's no other way you could do it. I'm sorry. The set piece is what it is. Yeah. Uh, this is how we have to do it. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, so uh, it, what, Oscars are in two weeks February 9th, I right. think so. So uh, we got a lot of we got this week. Uh, not not much happened this week, but uh, Super Bowl next week, and then Oscars the week after that. Yeah, and then finally it calms down. I totally forgot about Super Bowl next week. We should have talked about. Uh should have previewed the matchup a little bit. You know what? Here's the problem, though. Uh, <laughs> Corey doesn't want to talk about <laughs> sports ball this week. <laughs> uh, I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> The Pro Bowl happened today. Yes. And uh, normally, I would take any opportunity I could to watch Lamar Jackson do things. Hey, wait, Uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Normally, I would take any opportunity I can to watch Lamar Jackson do stuff, but uh, I just... uh, As soon as the season ends, I just sort of feel done with football. And uh, I turned on the Pro Bowl for a little bit here and there. just sort of saw what was happening. I wasn't really, like, super invested in it. I'm glad the AFC won, I guess. But, like... Matt, but they're playing touch football now, basically? Like, four uh, You know, it, it, it's it's whatever. I, I would say that uh, they did the fourth and 15 rule mm-hmm. in this. And even if they don't end up doing that for real life, I think that the Pro Bowl is an interesting place to throw in oddball rules that you're considering maybe in the future just yep. to sort of get an idea of what... It would look like in real action, and it would throw an interesting kink into a game that doesn't otherwise mean anything, you know. Like, and much like everything in real life, Kirk Cousins ruined it. And so. I mean, like, you know, the other thing too is like, you know, sometimes when I'm playing Madden, if I'm beating somebody pretty thoroughly, there's like a decision I make at some point, like you know, fourth quarter, where I'm just like, uh, all right, I'm gonna win this game regardless, but maybe instead of running the ball out, I'm just gonna throw the ball yep. and give them an opportunity to pick it off and like make it closer. Yeah just to make this a little bit more compelling. Like there's no point in me beating up Roberto by 30 points. Like at some point I can just start, you know, like being a little bit more carefree with things and seeing what happens, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like that kind of, that kind of logic would apply for the pro bowl as well. So if there's a, a rule that you're thinking about that would uh, increase competitive balance, then maybe throw it in the pro bowl to see what's up. 
uh, because we can't. They can't just steal all their ideas from the XFL. Like, <laughs> although that's starting. Oh, three weeks from now, that starts up too. Yeah, so yeah. It's going to be uh, Super Bowl, Oscars, XFL. XFL. <laughs> yes, that's an exciting three weeks. I, I'm uh, I'm curious to see what they. Uh, it's so fast though. I feel. Yeah. I, I mean, like I know last time they really like they tried to like figure out the whole league in like six weeks, and at mm-hmm. least this time they took a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it still feels like it's coming up, and I. I don't entirely know what's going to happen. So, so their big push this week, uh, a couple weeks ago, was uniforms are out. Everybody check out the uniforms. This week it was, where do you live in the country and what team should you cheer for? Because it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you live in Kansas. This is how we broke down the country. You're in the Chicago wildfire country or whatever it is. <laughs> it's always like, I like the map of uh, MLB TV right territories. Oh, because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting, like, to see what part of the country is covered by your... And like uh, some some teams just have humongous swaths because it's like no one uh, Colorado Rockies are the number one team for like eight states because there's no major league team there. Yep. And it just sort of like takes up all the space. Because I remember it, my buddy Chris, he lived in Wyoming, and he's just like, uh, yeah, a lot of the people I knew there were Avalanche fans because that's the closest stadium to you. So yep. you drive seven hours, you get to Denver, and you watch a hockey game. And they still have less people in their media area than. New York City. Yeah. All of that area, all of those states. And yeah. by the way, uh, back to the news column, those senators, their vote counts just as much. Two yeah, votes for each state. What are you going to do? A, just a quick reminder. I, I like to, every so often, I like to put this out there. Uh, the, mo- the least populous states, the least populous 33 states, which equals 66 senators, yeah. uh, are about 15 million people, mm-hmm. which is, if you include like sort of the outlying areas, is basically New York and L.A. by themselves. Yep. So, uh, and as you 30, said, thirty three states in the uh, in the uh, or thirty three states, sixty six votes, uh, same amount as two states with four votes. And if you want and <laughs> really, if you're speaking about California, yeah, with so many populated cities, it's not like one senator is really yours. You know, it's yeah. not like. Well, and California by itself is really nearly 15 million people by yeah. itself. Two, two votes. Yeah. Two votes. Um, and if you want to talk about strict urban areas, okay, great. So Chicago, New York, and L.A., yeah. 15 million people, six votes, equal yeah. to the, the 66 votes on the other side. So Yeah. If you want to back out all the parts of California which aren't considered L.A. for whatever reason. Well, yeah. and uh, Santa Monica is not part of L.A., Beverly Hills is a part of L.A. <laughs> and I mean, even if you want to say, OK, so, uh, yeah, but half the state's Republican, right? Because the northern half is very conservative and the eastern half is kind of conservative as well. You know, when we were going to split into five states, all the ones yeah, that yeah. end up having Republican senators. Um, all right. It well, was going to just, just be like <laughs> the eastern shore, though. It was just going to like sort of go around San Francisco and then go, <laughs> go around L.A., go all the way down to San Jose and then just anything that's not there, go down to L.A. and then mm-hmm. just around that. San Diego down to the end. Yeah. Take little pockets of Orange County for yourself because why not? I mean, and, and that's like uh, the number of people in upstate New York is less than the number of people in the urban area of New York City alone. It's like, yeah, Gilroy is pretty conservative, but it's also uh, less people live there than Glendale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is not the biggest part of L.A. So mm. um, moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like this. Uh, we could talk about this enough time until we run out of show. <laughs> What are we at right now? Almost an hour. Oh, getting close. Getting mm. close to. Uh, yes. Because we've never gone over an hour before. Never. So I want to make sure. Keep it to <laughs> a tight it, hour. Keep it a tight hour. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Derek Jeter uh, got elected to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. He was on all but one ballot. And uh, there were some people who were a little bit upset that... Uh, didn't get unanimous. Didn't get a unanimous vote, which only happened once with uh, Rivera, which I... Yeah. I mean, like, I've, I feel like this is all kind of stupid conjecture at this point because it started by people saying, like, well, there should be nobody who's unanimous. Right. And then as soon as one unanimous vote actually comes through, then people are just like... This is our new benchmark. Like Cal Ripken didn't get a unanimous vote, and so it's like, yeah, well, you know, if Mo, if Mo got elected before Cal Ripken, then I'm sure it would have been different. Like, yeah. you know, but also Mariano Rivera was the most dominant player in his position in the history of the sport. Yeah, Cal Ripken, baseball's Iron Man, fantastic shortstop, decent at bat. No one will ever say he was the most dominant player at his position in the history of the sport. No, he was a very important player, but he yes. wasn't like the most and important to the team. Yeah, but not not important not to baseball kind of too. Yeah. Like Derek Jeter, important to the team, dominant player. At which position that he played for half his career? But see, here's the thing: I I still maintain Jeter che- should be uh, down on his knees praying every single night that God put him on the Yankees. Because if he was with the Kansas City Royals, just by happenstance, he yeah. could have gotten drafted by any of the 30 teams. Like, If he got drafted by the Royals, he would not have stayed at shortstop. No. He just was not good enough at shortstop at the time. And like, you know, as much as we talk about like awards and stuff like that, like it, for a while there, the baseball Golden Glove Awards were a humongous popularity contest. Mm-hmm. Rafael Palmero won a gold glove at first base, and he played like 12 games there. Of which he didn't really do all that great. Like, he wasn't... But he was a very popular baseball player. Very popular guy, so yeah. he got uh, a gold glove. Uh, Jeter would not have won any gold gloves, I don't think, if he played for Kansas City. He probably would be a second baseman if he played for Kansas City. And he would not have had the opportunity to raise the level of, uh, you know, huge national superstar if he yeah. was in Kansas City. So before we start, like, you know, saying, you know, like, Jeter should have been unanimous and greatest shortstop of all time and blah, 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 just remember that there is a humongous amount of Yankee bias and Yankee winning that accompanied the Jeter legacy. Yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, this is not me saying that Jeter is not good enough to be in the Hall of Fame or his numbers don't support it or anything like that. I'm just saying that uh, there is an awful lot of uh, good luck with him just going to the Yankees. Yep. He would not have the World Series championships that are part of his resume. He would not have had the, you know, success in the playoffs, which is part of the legacy. He would not have had. And again, I juxtapose that to a guy who all of the the championships, all of the playoffs weren't what put him in the Hall of Fame. Being a when they play his song and he comes out of the bullpen, everyone's like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, because he over. is a shut down <laughs> pitcher in the eighth or the ninth inning. He will shut you down for the rest of the game 99 out of 100 times. That is who you – you have professional baseball players who are just like, I do not want to go up and face this guy. I mean, Yes, it's my job. I'm going to go up there. But yeah. you have guys who are hitting – having incredible, incredible hot streaks and just whiffing on Mariano Rivera's pitches. That is a dominant player, and that is the kind of guy – and I don't know who you compare him to. Who else has been like that at their position? Like – Nolan um, Ryan, Nolan Ryan, maybe, but the problem was not through his whole career. Mariano Rivera was that guy from the moment he came out. Well, you know what I, you know what I think really for for Rivera, 
uh, and again, it, it it burns me to speak well of Yankees. I know, like and that. I hate it. it. Really, I hate defending it really upsets me. But like, uh, with with uh, with Mo at the very least, like a closer was kind of a hey, we need to ha- throw somebody out there in the last inning. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we throw out Gossage? He throws hard. Sure. <laughs> you know, like it was sort of like whoever. Whoever was the best reliever sort of became the closer, or like whoever could finish it up. Like Ubaldo, th- hey, he can keep it together for three outs. Let's get him out there. <laughs> no, he can't. <laughs> I can tell you from experience. No, he can't. Um, I. It was. It was when it was with Rivera's climb that it became a thing where uh, people started saying, "Oh, we need to specifically groom somebody for the yeah. purpose of being the closer because." This role is such an important thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's at the end of the day, it's three outs. It's not really all, you know. Like you, you should be focused on the starting pitcher who's going to get you fifteen outs, right? As opposed to the closer who's going to get you three. But uh, it's the end of the game, so there's a lot of pressure, and there's yep. a different kind of thing. And uh, he kind of made that. Like there were closers before that who were you know feared, and you know they shut down a game and blah blah blah. But nobody sort of rose it to the level where it's like everyone has to have one, you know? Yeah. I mean, he was the guy that no matter what, if you had, you only put a closer in. When <laughs> Mariano Rivera was the automatic checkout machine at the grocery store. Yeah. It's just like the first time you saw it, you were just like, oh, I, every grocery store should have that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I mean, it, you only put in a closer when you're leading going into the ninth inning. Yeah. Right. So the 15 outs before that the starter is putting up mean nothing if the guy you put in gives up that lead in yeah. the ninth inning. He was a guy who came out and said, Auto- it's nearly automatic. If you put me in because we're leading in the ninth, we are going mm-hmm. to win the game. I am not going to give up whatever lead we have. And that, that redefined the position of, you. I, this is my job. Pressure doesn't matter. Who's coming up to bat doesn't matter. I'm going to shut it down. Three, uh, three up, three down. Let's get out of here. Yeah. And, and uh, that's and, something. So. And to the conversation of Jeter and like his value, if he wasn't on the Yankees type of thing, I think Larry Walker, who also got nominated or also got elected uh, to the Hall of Fame, is like a perfect example of that. Going from you know the Expos, the Rockies, to the to the Cardinals, uh, and I think he played elsewhere. I just don't remember. But the, his ability uh, was he was always one of the best players on his team. I don't know if he was ever like an MVP type candidate. Like he wasn't, he wasn't the all-star. He wasn't that great. He was an all-star a lot. I mean, like he, because he's a guy I always confuse with John Kruk. He is a guy who (laughs) put the helmet on backwards when Ryan, uh, when Johnson threw the fastball over his head at the all-star game. No, that was Kruk. No, no, it wasn't. I'm telling you, it was Larry. Was it Larry Walker? Larry Walker. I always say it's John Kruk and it's not, it's Larry Walker. Uh, Johnson threw a fastball over his head and it hit like right above his, his helmet. He stepped across and switched up the bat and turned the helmet around backwards. So you're right. You said it so many times it got yes. ingrained in my memory. And now I remember the right one, which is, is Larry Walker. Who <laughs> yeah. Did that. Um, so but yeah. I, I think that, you know, if you, if you put Jeter on the Expos and the, the Rockies and the Cardinals, oh. then, uh, we're probably going to be talking about him too, in the same way of like, will he make it on his final year on the ballot and yeah. stuff like that? Uh, remember that that with these things, with sports in general, that the there's an awful lot of luck that just goes involved with being able to be in a situation where you can overcome great things. Yeah. Uh, a similar. Oh my God! Regrettably talking about. Well, this. no, I was gonna say I think that's everything for this week, right? Oh, really? Oh, right. big topics <laughs> you wanted to talk about this week. <laughs> All right, be Kobe Bryant. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Click. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm in control of the stream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in control of the audio. Click. <laughs> oh, that's true. 
no. Uh, I guess we can talk shortly about Kobe. I think. Mm-hmm. Just put it at the no. end of this I'm thing. I'm putting right. you on the screen. Go. Uh, it, I I will say this. I I think uh, uh, it it was very shocking news to hear this morning that Kobe died. Um, it's you never expect something like this when it happens suddenly like this, and uh, you know he was one of the best. 10 basketball players to ever play the game. He was certainly one of the best of his generation. And especially like a lot of times with the NBA, you think about things in decades. Uh, he was the player of the two thousands uh, where LeBron sort of became the player of the 2010s. And Jordan was sort of the player of the nineties. Like it sort of follows within these, these steps. Uh, and uh, particularly here in LA where Kobe, uh, who was often, uh, misunderstood for better or for worse was embraced uh there are lots of problems in kobe's past uh which uh uh i don't feel like (laughs) now is the right time to necessarily discuss even though rob has a different opinion uh but yeah i mean like it's just a it's a sad day here in la you could you could tell that that the the atmosphere here was a little bit different uh because there was a lot of people uh very upset about what had happened. A player so great, he had to play under two numbers because his greatness could not be held by one number, right? That's why he changed numbers in the middle of his career? I don't remember exactly why he changed numbers, oh, but rape, I... the I, rape I, allegations. <laughs> That's what... That was it. It was the rape it allegations was, during his career that... It was It was interesting, though, that uh, he did that because it sort of gave him an opportunity to sell his jersey to all the fans that had bought it already again. And of course, he used of a, that all the proceeds from that to build a better world, right? Yep. Super charitable. Guy. So far, I'm so far I'm okay with this. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we just close up the show now? So listen. Do you want to put yourself on? I'll I'll take a You want to give, give yourself a minute? To, I'll take Corey's pre-show advice and I'll wheel back my pre-show comments uh, to twenty <laughs> percent of the level, and I'll say one uh, statistically one hundred people died overnight. Um, from exposure, one person took a private helicopter from his home in Orange County to his daughter's ca- uh, basketball camp in Calabasas, which is maybe a 40-minute drive, maybe an hour drive. And that helicopter crashed, tragically, killing him and his daughter. And it's sad that someone died. Um, it is sadder that 100 people died from something that they could have been one very much prevented. Um, I think I made the argument uh, in the pre-show meeting that if we had taken proportional amount of his income and given it to build housing for homeless people or make housing available, then the 100 people who statistically died from exposure overnight would not have died, and also he would not have had a helicopter to take to Calabasas, so perhaps all lives could have been saved. I think that is a fair assessment. Um... But in any event, um, I this is why I get upset at these moments, because all of you are fake. You're all fake. Corey's sitting here next to me, very worried about what I'm about to say. You can see him right there. He's very worried about what I'm saying. Uh, he's slightly fake. You are all fake. Um, because in the end, we deify people. The hero worship makes me really, really sick. Uh, I fucking hate hero worship. And... Um, I hate myself for wearing jerseys with other grown men's numbers and names on the back. Uh, I do that to be 
part of the group because that's what you do when you go watch games. But um, the way that you deify someone after death, ignoring the fact of, you know, the multiple rape allegations, uh, the way that he has lived his life all up to all that, all that, not really the point. I see Corey's getting very, very, no, worried, very worried uh, so, so far this is, this is going better than I thought it would. So I think that, that <laughs> overarchingly my, my point is just this, you are weighing the lives of one versus 100 and you could not give a shit less. In fact, most of you probably did not know until I said it that statistically a hundred people died from exposure overnight. Um, and yet you are deifying someone who perhaps doesn't deserve your deification. He played a game better than 99% of the people who can play it. He's not even the best one to play it. Don't at me. He's not. He's not as good as Michael, and he's not as good as LeBron. And that's just two people. Given all the statistics, I could probably mention many more people who are, he was not as good as. But that's not the point either. The I think is, I think the argument could be made, too, that much like the conversation we just had with Jeter, yeah. the fact that he had his entire career in Los Angeles hmm. with the Lakers, one of the premier fan- franchises, and a franchise that constantly puts themselves in the position to win championships uh, was a benefit to him because he's thought of as a multiple time NBA yeah. champion. And yeah. I mean, like he was originally drafted by the the Hornets and uh, or at the time, the Bobcats, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Wait, 96. No, Hornets. Yeah, it would have been. But the, the rights were traded to the rights were traded to uh, the Lakers or Vlade Divac. I think. So like solid uh, trade. <laughs> I think. uh uh, you know, if th- this would be way different if he was a Hornet his entire career as yeah. opposed to a Laker. But uh, listen, I- in the end, is it sad that uh, that a man died? Sure. Is it sad that his a man daughter, and his daughter? Yeah. I was gonna say it's sad that his daughter died, even mo- even more so. Um. But. And that eight other people died along. Seven with them. other people died along with them as well. All tragic. All tragic. tragic. However. That happened once on one Sunday morning. Every morning in this country, 100 people find a friend of theirs, an associate, a colleague, someone that they know even um, only by face and not but necessarily by name, dead. And that problem is much bigger, and I don't see anyone getting up in arms about it. And you can be like Corey, and you can say, hey, you're, you really talk about that problem, and you don't do anything to fix it. Um, which I do, uh, but I'm trying to be delicate, (sighs) trying to be delicate. Um, again, private helicopter from home, 40 minute car ride to Calabasas, play rich people games, win rich people prizes. Um, so you get into a flying machine, sometimes flying machines crash. That's part of what the risk that you take with life. I guess I get into a car. I run the risk that I'm going to get into a crash and die. Um, none of you will deify me, especially <laughs> after this commentary. None of you will deify me uh, at my death. And uh, no one should be deified at their death. We're all fucking horrible people who have done things that we shouldn't have. Um, and let's just be like, oh, it's sad. And, you know, uh, Corey made the argument that he's inspired a lot of people. And that's true. Yes, he he's inspired a lot of people. Um, and. Maybe is that penance for the sin done beforehand? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Um, I mean, I I think that, you know, in time, especially with sort of the awakening of like a Me Too era and stuff like that, 
I think in time, Kobe's legacy will be remembered differently than it is at this exact moment. Because obviously, within 24 hours of his death, is like a time where people don't usually want to think about like... Like, I remember when I was a child and my dog Jade died Mm -hmm. and my mom was delicately trying to tell all of us kids at the same time that Jade had died. And uh, uh, she was just like, all right, uh, well, I have some bad news. Uh, Jade died last night. And Brendan pipes up from the backseat. He's like, good. (laughs) Like, (laughs) normally that's not the reaction that people have when uh, somebody dies. It's not usually like a, like, good. There's usually at least a little bit of time where people are like, uh, celebrating the life or remembering the mm-hmm. good things. And, you know, if you have a complicated history like Kobe does, uh, the complicated things can get brought up, but it's not really dissected as much as the overall life is celebrated for whatever mm-hmm. purpose it serves. And I think that in the long run, you know, there there might be more to Kobe's uh, complicated legacy that will, will get brought up and get, you know, the the Aaron Hernandez Netflix special treatment or something like that. But. God, I hope so. <laughs> uh, but I think that the overall just thing is, is that I would Even not though have... that, that's not quite, you know, three murders is not quite the same I mean, thing. we don't know. We don't know, Corey. <laughs> I would say put a pause on that. We don't want a hot take <laughs> from this. Um, but it just... I would have been fine, but it was the building over the course of the day. It was going to brunch and having... 19 TVs on 19 different networks and all of them talking about this fantastic god of a man who we've lost too soon, uh, I, who is the best basketball player ever and who was a great human being. See, but uh, I, I think I think so much of that is just the the ability to get somebody's eyeballs. Like, the reason why everyone's talking about it is because it's so shocking. Nobody woke up this morning saying, like, well, today's the day that Kobe dies. Like, you know, it, it wasn't out there in the universe like that. But and again, like he's uh, just a guy. Oh, I know he's just a guy. Thousands, but I'm, but hundreds saying, of thousands of people died in the last 24 I, hours. I get it. But I'm saying like when when somebody dies suddenly, it's like you weren't thinking about them. And then all of a sudden you are never going to see or hear from them again. And that elicits like a, a lot of questions from people. Like when uh, I saw the, the first I saw it was on Citizen this morning. Yes. When it said uh, helicopter crash, Kobe Bryant rumored to be on plane on helicopter uh, and then it started. I started doing the thing of like, oh, well, how are we? <laughs> uh, how do we know that? Mm-hmm. And I started looking into stories about like how we knew it, and you know they knew about the helicopter and the flying and everything like that. Um, it, it it's just people are are interested in getting as much of the story as they can right now. So therefore, the interest of the people who give the news is to give more news about Kobe because people will want to hear it. You know, like there's more of a thirst for Kobe news today because of the death than there is on a regular Tuesday prior to the death. And it's not confusing why that's the case. You know, it, I am, I'm going to quote one of your favorite shows. Okay. Um, 100 years ago, the American government said we have the, this free resource called the airwaves. And we, the American people, are going to give this to you. And in exchange, networks, for us giving this to you, we are going to ask only one thing, that you spend one hour a day educating the American people on the what's going on, what's going on in the world around them. And that would eventually become the news. Mm-hmm. And the one mistake that they made, the one mistake they made in giving away those airways for free was that they didn't say you aren't allowed to sell advertisements during that segment. Yeah. Newsroom. Episode two. Yeah. Check it out. Very good. Episode one is 
probably the best uh, episode of television ever made. But episode two is very well. Good. It's certainly the best opening I think for a long time. It, yes, there's been there's been few openings that sort of capture the imagination like that one. But uh, and I'm gonna yeah. let Corey give you a closing that is going to be just as good as that episode of the newsroom. But before that, I'm gonna say, all of you throughout his career who always complain that Kobe never passed, he just did. Well, this certainly went better than I hoped it would. <laughs> if you want more experiences like that, you know where you can go. Where's that? Oh, the anthem.com. Corey Doe, the anthem.com. Oh, the anthem on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the listener line 443-219-7595. What's that number again? 443-219-7595. You can find more of me at my website, CoreyBakerFilmmaker.com, Facebook.com forward slash CoreyBakerFilm, and at LegendCB5 on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, saw 1917 will record review for 1917 when I don't know because I'm on set all week. Uh, hopefully one of these days I have a late call or maybe I'll just like film it at like 2 a.m. or something like that. But keep everybody up. That's a good plan. I'm going to figure out some time to record it and I'll put it out there. And I think you'll want to listen to it because, uh, it was a good movie and worth seeing. Hmm. Wait a minute. Uh, 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 sorry. I was pulling How, uh, what it's, what it's rating will be though. I think is weird. I'm still calculating that you know oh no you were so positive about it when we walked out we thought we all agreed about a movie for once no i mean like i, I i'm saying it's going to be very highly ranked oh okay but all like right. the the sussing out the little details that get you between a what's your highest ranked movie right now Nine, 9.2 for once upon a time in hollywood yes i believe so hold on i'll, I'll get you the exact number right, of it. you pull that up while uh, i do my thing so uh send me your hate mail uh i <laughs> won't care but uh at me all you want at robert and cheek on all your social networks uh you can find more from me at robert and uh, robert and cheek.com uh we can find links to uh all the stuff including the books which are available on amazon Barra's books thank you uh i have also uh this week has been Sean Baker week for the uh, Everyman Movie Review. We did Tangerine and Florida Project, so you can check out both of those, uh, both of which are alive right now. Uh, I have a whole long list of stuff to do. Uh, High Life, Rollin' Cell 99, Cell Block 99, Star Wars. Uh, oh, Star Wars is out. Two Popes. Uh, and now, of course, 1917, so I got a bunch of stuff coming uh, this week. Just got to find some time to record in between working, um, which apparently I had to be back at work at 9 a.m. again tomorrow. Yeah, Or 6 a.m. again tomorrow. So that's Once Upon a Time was 9.3. Ooh. That was the highest on That's the, the high mark. Yeah. High water mark. What's the uh, one after that, let's just say? Uh, 8.9 for Joker. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So that's some tough competition. So we have two Best Picture nominees right up there. In the, yeah. And I'll tell you this, uh, without... without uh, Without having to think too hard about it, uh, 1917 will be within that general range. Mm. Like it'll it'll be somewhere up there because it's certainly uh, just as enjoyable as those two. It was a it was a really good year for movies. This it was. Year. I think I think we're we, we're all uh, taken very good care of by Hollywood and their their movies this year. And, and based on uh, some of the previews, it's looking like 2020 is going to be just good. So yeah, I mean, not as many uh, superhero stuff or stuff like that, but uh, more independent fare. Um, could be interesting to see how I like the that. 2021 Oscars shape up. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, I think we've done good here today. <laughs> we've done something. <laughs> I don't know if it's good. As you said, could have been much worse. Yeah. I'm just thankful that we're no longer recording the pre-show because <laughs> uh, if this was on Patreon, I'm pretty sure Patreon would have deleted us based yeah. off of the conversation we were having out on the balcony. Ooh, 
boy. I'm just worried that there's somebody in the balcony who heard us and is just like, we're going to fucking kill that guy tonight. I think that's what the dude in the car <laughs> waving the, the, Kobe, the Kobe jersey <laughs> was saying. Uh, anyway, uh, we've done something. I don't know if it's good. But as always, you're listening to the O oh, the Anthem podcast, part of the O oh, the Anthem digital network. For Corey, this is Rob. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.